and amen. All right, if you got your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 in your Bibles. Before we read, I want to take a little mission trip real quick. Missions is, we're, we're knee deep in missions here. We love it. We love what the Lord's doing around the world and we want to be a part of it. And uh, one of the things, one of the groups that we're involved with is a group called Voice of the Martyrs. And they're the primary organization that keeps up with believers, Christians being persecuted around the world and helps them. And we're involved with them. And I love the Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but last year, 2020, more people were put to death for being followers of Jesus than any year in world history. Greatest persecution in history is going on right now. And not in America, we're protected. But around the world, tremendous persecution. Of course, North Korea is always number one on the list. China, uh, India has shot up in the last three years as a place that despises Christians and persecutes them. Of course, Iran, places like that. Tremendous persecution around the world. And so we partner with Voice of the Martyrs to help people that are suffering under extreme, especially government persecution. I've got a little clip I want to show you about from them about what's going on. Uh, let her fly there, boys. Right now, today, in places around the world, the church is on fire. Christians are persecuted for their faith. Dictators treat Jesus like competition, trying to stamp out any allegiance besides the government. Christians are being threatened by their families, watching their homes and churches be reduced to rubble and killed. Christians in these places are put in the flames of persecution. They are standing in the furnace and they are being asked to deny Christ so they can live. And in the fire, they still follow Jesus. They're saying, yes, I choose Jesus. These Christians are on fire for Jesus. God is doing work through His people all over the world, and they are part of our family, part of your family. So today, what can you do to help your global family stand strong in the fire? And what can you do to help them remain on fire for Jesus? The church is on fire. Will you help? My, I have a dear, a tender heart toward the persecuted church. I spend time every day praying for them, for God's presence to visit them, for him to protect them, provide for them, and knit their hearts together. Uh, we have a church in Vietnam, the Lamb's Chapel, Vietnam, that was uh, the Sunday meeting. You can't kill the church, but the Sunday meetings were shut down by the government there. And just like Jesus, the, they shut the Sunday meetings down, but the church is actually more effective not having Sunday meetings by helping more people like that. So there was this, we need to pray for these folks. These are not Iranians, North Koreans. This is my family. These are our brothers and sisters. We're going to spend eternity with these people and they will be the celebrated ones in eternity. So I want you to love them. You can go to the website, Voice of the Martyrs, keep up with them. And a lot of, just as Jesus said what happened before we came back, this is going on on the earth and we're going to do our part to help them out. All righty. You got Luke chapter 11? All right, we're going back. We began several weeks ago talking about a prayer and uh, God Almighty looks at you and he says this. When you pray, say this to me. And he has asked, this is the only place in the Bible where he's told you what to pray. And he told you, I want you to pray this prayer to me. Let's read that one verse, Luke chapter 11, verse two. He said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, say this, or when you pray, say this prayer to me. And then he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. <clears throat> if the creator of the universe tells me, ask me to do this for you, do you think he's playing games or do you think he'll answer it? Every believer needs to learn this prayer. Memorize this prayer. Pray it many times a day. Pray it as you lay in the bed at night. You want what he promises in this prayer. Don't, don't try to figure it out. Trust the man and pray this prayer. And he told us, we've been through this. He said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank him for his great name and worship him. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Do good things in my life. Do good things for my family. Ask him to do that. Give us this day our daily bread. I am trusting you to take care of my family forever, financially. And then today we come to this. 
forgive us our sins. Is, all right, let's make sure that this is the right message for the day. Has anybody in this room ever sinned? Okay, we're on track. Forgive us our sins. Here's the message title today. Today I want to talk to you about this. God is not mad at you. Forgive us our sins. And he has told you to ask him to forgive you. And uh, we're going to talk about that today. Now, <clears throat> this Bible shows us a lot of things. A lot of revelation is here. What is the number one revelation of the Bible? It's not the end times, although that's in there. It's not the fallibility of humanity. What's the number one thing the Bible reveals? God. The Bible is a book about God. The Bible is where you learn about God and what he's like. He is the primary revelation of the Bible. All righty. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. If you were to ask God with a humble heart and you mean it, please forgive me for my sins. How many of you believe he would forgive you? Okay, now let me ask you this question. <clears throat> would he do it because he has to or would he do it because he wants to? Have you ever forgiven anybody once? Have you ever forgiven anybody? How many of you would be honest enough and let's, let's knock it off this morning and tell the truth. How many of you would be honest and say you forgave people because you're supposed to but you really didn't want to? You got the guts to say it? I'm scared not to forgive. Now there's been times I wanted to forgive people. The older I get, the more forgiven I become. But there's been times I forgave people just because he said to, but I didn't really want to. <clears throat> Listen to what I'm fixing to say. God Almighty is the only person in the universe who has never done anything because he has to. Not me and you. Every human being does things they have to when they don't want to. He's the only person that has ever done anything except what he wants to. And he is a forgiving God, not because he has to be. Who are you going to call on him? I mean, he's at the top of the food chain, folks. If he forgives, it can only be for one reason. He wants to. He wants to forgive people. Very important to know. We've got a big problem. And this problem was in ancient Bible times. And it's today. See if you agree with me. God Almighty put his people in the earth to represent him in front of other people. How many of you believe that we're here to show people what God is like? You are the light of the world. Let your light and life so shine before men that they may watch you and glorify God. So he put people in the earth to show other people what he's like. Would you believe that? I have had a problem for ages and ages back then and today. God's people have not always represented him well in front of other people. You know what it means to represent somebody? To re present them to people. We haven't always shown the world what God is like. How many of you have ever known a Christian anywhere that didn't do right? Well, if you don't, I'll tell you some. And in the Bible, people didn't represent him right. Still going on today. So he has been misrepresented, I'm convinced. What was his answer for that problem? Since the people I sent to show the world what I'm like didn't do it, I'll just send my son and let him show everybody what I'm really like. Have you ever believed that Jesus came into this earth for one reason? If you would ask why Jesus come, people say, well, he came to teach us how to live, yada, yada. Jesus said, I came to this earth for one reason, to show people what God is like. I came to this earth to show people what God is like. In John chapter 14, after his disciples had been with him for a couple years, one of them in a quiet moment around a campfire maybe said to him, if you'll show us what God is like, that'll be all we need. That's verse eight. Verse nine, Jesus turned to him and he said, I've been with you this long and you don't know who I am. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So Jesus came to represent who the father is. That's why he came to this earth to show us who he was. All righty. Um, going to be very informal this morning. Religion and religious organizations in the day Jesus walked on the earth all the way to this day have often misrepresented him and they've represented him to the world as somebody that's angry. How many of you ever saw the movie Pollyanna? Okay, I keep forgetting y'all are not 105 like I am. There's a movie about an angry preacher who screamed at the people and they sweated and trembled the whole time. And we've represented him as being angry, hard and demanding, uh, a distant deity and dull. All right, 
Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 no. Look right here. This is God right here. Watch me. And he, let me tell you above everything else, and this is, I'm a theologian, so this is going to be real deep, but hang with me. This is the deepest theology you'll ever hear in your life. Jesus came and he made, he gave one great lesson. It's this, God is good. And he revealed the goodness of God. That's what he did. He revealed that God is merciful. Matter of fact, I'm just going, I'm just going to go ahead and get ahead of myself here. He is the most forgiving person I've ever met. I've never met anybody even comes close. He is merciful. He is generous. He gives generously. And this was the picture that Jesus painted of the God that we love and serve. And but now let me tell you the this is the most shocking revelation I've ever had get to know God. I've never been, I'm one of them preachers. I never was real big on what do you have to do to have a good church? I've never been one of them people that's the Bible doesn't say seek to be a good Christian. The Bible doesn't say seek to have a good church. The Bible says seek ye the Lord. I am fascinated by God. I don't know any greater subject on the earth to think about or discuss than God himself. I've just been a person that's always just been fascinated with God. I preach because I have to. I behave because I have to. I'm crazy about God. And I want to know what he's like. And the greatest revelation that I ever got out of scripture, I knew that God loved people. Anybody know God loves people? Okay, we covered that. Here's the great revelation Jesus brought to the earth though. God likes people. God likes people. Tremendous revelation. And uh, can I ask you this, if you know the Bible, when Jesus, who was God, walked on the earth, did Jesus and religion clash with each other? Somebody said every day, bingo. How, I mean, doesn't it make sense to you that if God came down to the earth, religious folks and him would get along? They never got along. Did they call him the son of the devil? Be careful who I talk to like that. Did he call them sons of the devil? John 8, 44. Why did Jesus have so much trouble getting along with religion? Couldn't he just cooperate? He didn't come to cooperate. He came to show us the Father and to reveal God. And he revealed him wonderfully. All right, here's my problem. And this has been a problem all my life as a young man because I learned religious stuff. You know, I've, I've told you, I, went, I was drugged to church as a young man and uh, went to church and the people were sad and mad and they had men wearing dresses in a box behind the preacher up there singing terrible music that nobody should have had to listen to. And the organ sounded like ghost of Mr. Chicken. And then this fat guy gets up there in a tight polyester suit and screams at me for an hour and then wants to charge me for it. I, that was, I, when I was young, that was my take on church. And, I, and y'all, and they pay to go to that. Now I had to go. I was drugged. A lot of them were grown men. They didn't have to go. They just went anyway. And I thought, what kind of life you got? So in other words, God was misrepresented to me. So I didn't want anything to do with him. All right, here, here's my question. If, if he's been misrepresented, where am I going to learn what he's like? It's only one place on this earth you can learn what God's like. You have to look at the man, Christ Jesus. You have to look at the man who came to represent who he is. And uh, maybe you think we ought to sort of learn what God's like. Since he controls the breath you're breathing. And he will have the say, the say, the only say in your future. And he created you. Seems like we ought to find out what he's like. What do you reckon? All right, let's do this. Well, then let's let Jesus show us what he's like. Turn three or four pages to the right, Luke chapter 15. Greatest passage in the Bible where Jesus said, let me teach you what God is like. And today we want to talk about what God is like. And I want you to come up with one primary, deep, hard understanding. Even if you can quote it in your head, I want this to get in your heart today. God is not mad at you. Luke chapter 15 is this wonderful passage. It, it is humorous to me. I love it. It's sort of my foundational passage. And let me tell you, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. I'm going to show you 10 things that Jesus taught me about God. And you may disagree with some of them, but I want to remind you, I'm going to show you every one of them in the Bible. So dear ones, if I see something in the Bible that's not what I believed before, do I change the Bible or do I change the way I think? I change the way I think. And I promise you, every time you change, it'll be an upgrade. He's good. All right, we have a situation here. Let me show you what happened. 
Verse one, all the tax collectors and sinners. How many of you have you ever heard that word sinner? How many of you know what, what would you say? We're talking about sinners. We're talking about bad people. Okay. Sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes, now those are ministers, they began to criticize and complaining, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Aren't you got it? These preachers go in. I said Hooters one time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had a message once called the day Jesus went to Hooters. I'm sorry. Okay, let's, let's do this. Let's make it K and W. Because God's old. He goes to K and W. Can we say that? All right. What happens is this group of ministers, they either go into a restaurant, whatever, or an outdoor cafe, and they look. And here at the table and around this area is this man who claims to be God. They didn't think he was God, but what are you going to do with a guy who can raise the dead? You've got to give him some attention. All right, so they see this guy who claims to be God, and he's got the most sinful people surrounding him. They're upset by it. They're bothered, and they complain. And, and now let me tell you what they said. And this is the first thing I want you to learn. They said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus was not preaching at them. He was not fussing at them. What was he doing? He was enjoying them. He was eating with them. Receive means enjoys. I hear his first, and this, this made the preachers mad. Everything makes preachers mad. This made the preachers mad. First thing I want you to learn about God is this. God enjoys sinful people. He said, no, no, brother Brian, you have to repent before he can be nice to you. No, you don't. God enjoys. You said, don't you mean he loves them? Read it, doc. God enjoys sinful people. And he's enjoying these people. And this stripped the preacher's gears. Now, I'm going to show you something even crazier than that. Number two, sinful people enjoy God. See, we, we think of why don't hookers and, well, start to say evil people come to our church. They do here. But I'm talking about the average church. Why don't evil people go to church and do stuff like that? Read verse one with me again. All the sinners. You know what the word all means? All the sinners, tax collectors. What does it say? What does Drew near mean? They're fighting to get a seat at the table where God is. They're so attracted to God. Doesn't that seem strange to you? that the most sinful people in the town wanted to be where God was? Before I began to follow God, I didn't want to be where he was. I ran from him. If you talked about him to me, all you was going to see was elbows and heels. I didn't want to be near God. I stayed away from him. These were sinful people, but they not only drew close to him, they actually enjoyed being around God. We got a problem, Houston. You can't even get a lot of Christians to go to church nowadays. But if you follow the life of Jesus through his three years on this earth, thousands would sit for hours without eating just to be near him. Is Jesus God? Sinful people are drawn to him. Sinners would love God if they could ever see him. Get close to him. Number three, all right? So I want you to read with me in verse three. So Jesus spoke this parable to them. Now, if you, if you miss verse three, nothing else is going to matter. Jesus did not tell this story to the people at the table. Jesus is going to tell a story and I want you to tell me why he told it and who he told it to. Why is Jesus going to tell this story? Because preachers are bothered by God liking sinful people and sinful people liking God. Because preachers are bothered. Who's he telling the story to? He told this story to them, to the Pharisees who were complaining. So Jesus tells a story to preachers because they're bothered about the way he's acting around people. All right, here it is. He tells three stories. Number one, Verse four, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness, go after the one which is lost till he finds it. All right, stop right there. How many of you do that? How many of you, if you lost one of your sheep, would go after it? None of us would because we don't have sheep. But if you had sheep and like you came out one day and the door was, the gate was left open, would you look for it? Okay. When we had horses, you know, our kids are gone, so we don't have horses anymore. Once on a while, one would get out. And if I saw that a horse was loose, I didn't say, well, we'll find another. <laughs> I went and looked for it. Are you with me? If you came out and your dog didn't show up, wouldn't you go? How many of you would look for an animal if it was lost? Okay. So far, so good. I right, watch this. And when he found it, verse five, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing or excited. And I never did that. When I found that horse, I never said, oh, I'm so happy. I, I just, I wasn't happy. I was ill. I didn't hurt him. 
might not have been their fault. I didn't shoot them, wanted to, but, but I, I just, I never was excited because I found a lost animal. Got me? Okay. Now it gets even crazier. Watch this. If you did, God bless you. Verse six, he comes home with the animal. He calls his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. I found my sheep, which are lost. I never lost a horse. When found him, got excited, got him back in the pen, called everybody I knew and said, I'm throwing a party. Let's have time. How many of you would do that? If you're some of you, a little dog, you probably got a poodle or something. You'd probably do it. But. The point is that everybody would go look for a lost animal, but you don't throw parties because you got them back. You think Jesus is talking about animals? What's he talking about? Who is the man who lost the sheep? That's God. Who is the sheep? All right, here's the point. And he, he, he proves that in verse seven. I say to you, there's more joy in heaven over one bad person who turns his heart toward God than over a bunch of folks who think they don't need to. What's the point number? Here it is. Here's the third thing I want you to see that I've learned from him in this passage right here. God is excited about people. A lot of people believe that God is real, that he's truth, but they struggle with him being excited. What's that parable about? How many of you ever got excited about children? I can remember when my, I started to say we got pregnant. We did not get pregnant. When my sweetheart, who's my wife, got pregnant. I just remember being so excited about that. And I remember just, I was excited. And I remember, you know, I've always been excited about my children. Of course, they're grown now and they're gone. Even now, when they're going to come back to the house on a Saturday night, I'm excited because they're coming. I mean, if you, has anybody ever, have you ever been excited about your children on, on like an off day or something, maybe? <laughs> You've never been as excited about your children as God is about you. God is excited about people. That was the whole point of what, what he was doing there. All right, so he shifts gears. He said, he said listen, you guys are upset. Why are y'all so mad? Don't you understand that God is excited about people like this? Sinful people, dear. We're still on sinful people. We're not talking about people who are trying to do better. Sinful people. All right, he shifts gears. He tells another story. Verse eight. What woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. Got it? How many of you would do that? No, you wouldn't. Times are so good now, you lose a nickel, you're going to go on about your business. You probably wouldn't even bother to pick it up. Pick it up. You're not talking about a coin. You know, it's like you lose this coin and you... That's, well, that's not worth bending over for. Then we're not talking about a, a coin out of your pocket. This was her diamond engagement ring. This was her wedding band. See, today a woman gets an engagement ring or a wedding band to, when she's married that shows she's wedding. Back then you got a necklace. It was called your dowry necklace. Had 10 coins on it. And that was what you got you know, for your engagement, got married and you wore that only married women would wear it as a sign that I'm married. My husband gave me this. You got this? What would a woman do if she lost her engagement ring in the house? Would she look for it or would she say, well, you know, I'll swing by Dollar General tomorrow and get another or whatever. <laughs> if a woman loses her and all of a sudden looks down and realizes, oh, it's not there. Maybe she's lost weight or something. It's not there. What's she going to do? She's going to look for it. Will she turn the house upside down? Will she make her husband help her? You got it. She's going to look for that thing. Would she be excited when she found it? Now listen to me. It's not the cost of the ring. That ring's valuable to her. And it's not just, now they are expensive, but it's not just the money. What is it? That thing's valuable apart from its actual cost because it's dear to her heart. All right, so this is a woman who, she's lost her ring and it's dear to her heart. And uh, this is her wedding. Verse nine, when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me. I found what I lost. So she's excited about it. Now, obviously we're not talking about engagement rings and coins. What are we talking about? Read verse 10. Likewise, I'm telling you preachers, there is joy in the presence of God over one bad person who turns their heart toward him. What's he talking about? Now, the first picture was that God is excited about people. What's this one? People are valuable to God. That's why he looks for them. People are valuable to God. And uh, the obvious point of using that wedding dowry necklace or wedding ring is some people are not valuable to other people. You know, if you can't sing or hit a ball or you're not famous or well, if you're just an average person, you may not be very valuable to other people. 
but you're valuable to him. I limit, this is a terrible illustration, but it's the best I can, I can show you how. When um, we, I met my sweetheart in college, who's now my wife, we fell in love. I wanted to get married. We, we weren't even out of college. I wanted to go and get married. Get, at least, I need to get her engaged. I thought to myself, son, you better get her locked down before she gets to know you well so you can get this thing tied up here. <laughs> so I wanted to get engaged even before we got out of college. And then we get married and uh, live, live ever after. And uh, so I you know, sort of felt the situation out. Well, my, my problem was back then, man, I was so poor, I couldn't pay attention. I had no money. And I didn't believe in credit. We don't do credit. And all, I just had a few dollars and I had to buy a very small diamond ring and I gave it to her. And, and my thinking was this, you know, after, after I get out of school, get in the ministry a couple years, I'll be rich. To give me a TV show, and I'll buy you a bigger one. And so we started out with that little, little small engagement ring. I mean, diamond in that engagement ring it was thrilled to her. And we've been married 40 years this year. And no few times through the years, I've said, "Sweetheart, please let me get you a bigger engagement ring than that." And she, she'll hear nothing of it. She said, "It's not the size of the diamond." And uh, you see, it's not the actual dollar cost. That thing's valuable to her because of the relationship. Dear ones, if God loses people, it don't matter whether they're not valuable to other people or not, they're valuable to Him. And you're valuable to Him, not because you're famous. God knows, not He really does, not because you can do right. Your children aren't valuable to you because of the way they act. People are valuable to God, even if they're not valuable to other people. That's the fourth thing He taught me. Number five, okay, and then he tells another story. He's got three stories. This is the third one. And he tells a story. And uh, verse 11, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said, give me some money. Give me my inheritance. He took it. Verse 13, he left, went to a far country, wasted his possessions with prodigal living. You ever done that? You don't know what that means. He raised hell and ran out of money. He spent all, there was a severe famine. He didn't have anything. He got a job feeding pigs he would have eaten the pig food. Verse 17, he came to himself. How many of my father's servants, they're throwing food away and I'm dying. I will arise and go to my father and tell him I messed up. I'm going to try to go back. Now, how many of you know, this is not talking about a Jewish man who had a son. Who's the man? Remember, he's, this is, he's telling us who God is. The man is God. Who is the son? Every person that ever put their fist in his face and said, you're not going to tell me how to live. I don't want you. I don't want you in my life. I'm going away from you. you know, I'm not going to live by your rules. I'm going to do what I want to do. The prodigal son is every person who ever walked away from God and said, you're not going to tell me what to do. I believe in you. I maybe believe that boy believed in his father, believed his father existed, but he was not going to mess with him. And what happened? As often happens when you disregard God like this, your life gets in a mess. Right, his life got in a mess. He got, would you say he got to the bottom of the barrel? Absolutely. And it was at the bottom, of, when his life was a screwed up mess, what did he say? I'm going to turn back to God. And I'm going to see if God will have me back and help me. Now, <clears throat> you know what preachers, now remember, who's he talking to? Preachers, you know what they're thinking? <laughs> yeah. See if you come back over here. And, uh, you know, I've had people actually ask me, I had a friend ask me before he went off to prison for 30 years one time. He said, uh, I really, I've messed up, but I don't want to get right with God. He said, do you, do you think I'm just doing this because I'm in trouble? I said, I'm sure of it. I said, I'm positive you're doing this because you're in trouble. And he looked dejected. I said, praise God. Why would you come to God if you're not in trouble? I came to God because I was in trouble. If you're not in trouble, why would you go to him? Go back and read that part about 99 righteous people who don't need help. All of us come to God because we're in trouble. I right, so, so what's he done? He said, I, I have screwed up, not working out. I'm going to turn back to God. After you wasted all his money like that. Here's number five. Read with me verse 20. He arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him coming, felt compassion, and ran and fell on his neck. That means hugged him and kissed him. Here's number five. God forgives people quickly. Now, a lot of people say, well, yeah, yeah I, know God, I know God forgives, but knock your butt off. God forgives quickly. Now, you, you start and act like the other brother. 
Did you notice? I want you to notice something in that passage. Did the boy even have to ask for forgiveness? All he had to do is turn his heart. Forgiven quickly, completely. And he was completely forgiven about for what he'd done. Matter of fact, I'm going to be honest with you. He's the quickest person to forgive I ever met. And just completely, completely forgiven. Dear ones, we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness from heaven. The one thing that I've seen good people struggle with more than anything else in my 40 years is forgiveness. Not toward people from God. I can't tell you how many people really don't believe in their hearts that God has smiled on them and forgiven them for everything they've done. Especially in those tough areas like abortion, infidelity. I want to tell you something. We've got to start believing his word. Let me quote it to you. If we, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I've had so many Christians say this to me. I ask him to forgive me, but I, I just don't feel like I've been forgiven. And I say, and? Dear ones, listen to me. You're not forgiven because you feel forgiven. You are forgiven because his word said he'd do it. Let me go a little further here. Your feelings don't always tell you the truth. God's word is always the truth. And when I do what he asked me to do, he will always do what he said he would do. And I've sinned. I, I was a big time sinner and I've sinned a lot of times. I may be getting, I may be, Guinness is going to have my name in it one day. <laughs> right beside some of yours. And I had done something so stupid one time. I don't, I don't play religious games with God. I talk to him straight. And I'd done something so stupid one time and I asked him to forgive me. And I, for a moment, I just thought, and I said, how many times are you going to keep forgiving me for this? I should have gotten it right by now. You ever felt like that? And he spoke to me and he said, what does my word say in Matthew 18? And I remembered. And it's where Simon came to Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? Because that was the Jewish law. You had to forgive seven times. On the eighth, you could clean them out. But Jesus said, I say unto you, not seven, but 70 times seven. Somebody tell me the number. 490. Wait a minute. 70 times seven in a day. In a day. So if, I, if you screw up and you ask me to forgive you 490 times in one day, I'm to forgive you, right? Does anybody know if I'm telling the truth or making this up? Because some of you that are married have gotten close. And I, and I just quoted that back to him. And he said this to me. So you think I'd ask you to do something for other people that I wouldn't do for you. He will forgive you 490 times in one day. If you mess up that many times and I ask him, you say, what? Yeah, but no, yeah, but. Do not add to this word. He's that good. And this is religious people just get nervous when you talk about complete, total forgiveness. We need to quit getting nervous and start celebrating his goodness. He forgives quickly. Number six, this is really, this strips people's gears. Number 20, excuse me, verse 20 again. Number six, he arose and came to his father when he was still a long way off. His father saw him coming and watch these words, had compassion. See the word compassion. What did the father have toward the son? Does God have compassion toward you? Now listen, many people mistake compassion for love. It is not love. There's a big difference between love and compassion. Love is a decision. I'll love you no matter how I feel. We get married, we, we promise to love one another, which means what? Better or worse, richer or poor, sickness, health. I'm gonna love you no matter what I feel. Compassion is a feeling. Compassion is when you do feel something. The Greek word spelankia, and it's right here. And the old, old King James says it like this. It calls it in the bowels. It's because you had a feeling down here. Well, they thought the bowels was everything inside of you. Now we know it's not the bowels, it's the human heart. And it's to feel something in the heart. You ever done this? You ever been like watching a, a TV and maybe a Compassion International commercial comes on and you see a little child in Africa starving, little skin and bones, flies on their face. You ever seen that and felt something in your heart toward that? That's spelunky, that's compassion. I got a picture the other day from our church in Vietnam and I'd never seen a woman this emaciated. Her, literally her arm 
was no bigger than my two fingers right there. I'd never seen anybody starve so bad. And they were trying to help her. And when I saw that mom, I just said, why am I overweight? And there are people that are better people than me living like That's compassion. I mean, you watch these humane society commercials and see dogs suffering and you feel something. That's compassion. When the father looks on this boy who had not apologized yet, did everything he could wrong, what was in the heart of the father? It was tender. When God looks at you, what does he feel? Aggravation? Or is he compassionate? This is Jesus teaching us what God is like. I don't care what you've done. When he looks at you, his heart is tender. That's why the Bible said this for me and you. Be ye kind to one another. Listen, it's easy to be tenderhearted toward people when they're acting right. Listen to what the Bible said. Be ye kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So that tells me you done screwed up. If I have to forgive you, didn't you screw up? He said, be tenderhearted toward people when they've screwed up. Let me quote the next verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God is tenderhearted toward you. You know, I can't do that. I can be tenderhearted toward my children when they're behaving in little. I might be tenderhearted toward certain things, but it's just real hard for a person to be tenderhearted toward somebody that's acting wrong on purpose. What's the only way you can do it? He's got to give it to you. And God will soften your heart toward people that are screwed up. You know, everybody needs compassion. All right. <clears throat> the Bible teaches clearly that he's tenderhearted toward people. Uh, all right, let's go a little further here. The seventh thing I want you to see. Look with me in verse 22. The father said to the servant, bring out the, rest, bring out the best robe. Notice it's the best robe. Put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Number seven, God is really good to people who don't deserve it. What's this all about? I mean, it, it, the boy just comes back and the father says, give him the best of everything I got. Didn't he just waste the father's money? All he's got to do, all he did, all he did was just turn and God gave him, the, the father gave him the best ahead. We're not talking about a Jewish man and his boy. We're talking about God and you. What does the Bible say? God is really good to people who don't deserve it. Now it just bothers religious people sometimes. They say, well, they don't deserve that. That is the whole point of this gospel. Somebody should write a song called Amazing Grace. Have we stopped being amazed by his kindness and his goodness? How sweet the sound. All righty. The Bible is very clear. He's really good to those who don't deserve it. Do you think I, I deserve the health he's given me? The only reason I'm healthy at this age is the kindness of God. Do you really think I deserve the woman he blessed me with? Her daddy don't. I've had people say to me, what did she owe you? Do you really think I deserve the beautiful home I enjoy? Do you think I enjoy that I deserve this church? Do I deserve? This is the goodness of God. I don't deserve any of this stuff. I don't deserve nothing. All right, number eight. <clears throat> now this is where people, I lose people here. This really bothers people. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be what? Does the word say Mary? I was the father say. He, he, he's love, he's tenderhearted toward this boy, forgives him, gives him nice stuff. And then what do he say? Now we're going to have a party. And what does it mean? Let us, who's the us? Is that the father and the son? Is that me and God? Let us do what? Be glad. Our word to be glad. How many of you think God is glad? You say, there's no way with what's going on in the earth today. Would you start going by the Bible and get out of the newspaper? Would you start going by the Bible and quit listening to preachers? That's why we're in trouble. These people listening to preachers. Jesus said, no, no, let me show you what God's like. God is glad about people. Matter of fact, he's glad. What do you think this means right here? Let us make merry and let us be glad. Matter of fact, read me in verse 32. It was right. Now this is the father speaking. It was right that we, there's the we again, should make merry and do what? Be glad. God said, it's right for me to be glad. Why? Because I forgave this young man. God is glad about the fact that you turned your heart toward him and he could forgive you. Hey, he's just, he's just glad. It's the only thing I know to tell you. All right, let's shift gears. Let me show you number nine, two more. If God is glad about people, religious people tend to be mad at sinful people. Read verse 25 with me. His older son was in the field. He, he came near the house. He heard music and dancing. 
Okay, if your Bible doesn't say dancing, it's because you were Baptist. You got a Baptist version there. You <laughs> say, so I, I think it was like organ music. You don't dance to organ music, Doc. You, you die to organ music. And remember, this is not about a Jewish man's house. This is God's house. And they're doing what? They're dancing in God's house. Why? Because God's excited. All right. He called one of the servants and said, what's going on? He said, your brother came and your father got so excited. He, he's throwing a party, killed the fatted calf. You know, the, the uh, heifer. Verse 28. He was so excited, went in and hugged him, said, I'm glad you're back. That didn't happen, did it? What does the Bible say that the other one was? Verse 28, he was angry. All right. God is glad. Preacher's mad. <clears throat> How many of you know we need to get on the same page with God and get off of it? I right, said so the Bible teaches here that they're mad. And they're very upset about this thing. Religious tend, people tend to be mad about sinful people. I, I just, I've never understood why preachers and religious people get so mad about sin. You know what I really think it is? I think they're just mad because they can't do it. I don't think they're mad because you can. He was angry, wouldn't go in. The father came out and pleaded with him. Verse 29, he said, all these years I've served you and never broke your commandments. You never gave me anything. Verse 30, this son of yours who devoured your livelihood with harlots comes home and you do all this for him. Your religious people love to keep a record of what you've done wrong, don't they? All right, this is just, all right, now stay with me here. Stay with me, dear ones. Guess who he's talking about now? Who's he telling this parable to? The preachers. Guess who the elder brother in the story is? It's the preachers. And he's saying, why are y'all so mad? I'm glad about these people. Y'all are mad about them. And why'd they say they were mad? Two reasons they were mad. Number one, they are so sinful. Dear ones, look, look, look here. If God is not mad about people that have been forgiven, you need to get off of it too. Why else were they mad? I have done so much for you and you ain't never done nothing for me. Who are they really mad at? Now they're mad at the, the young boy, but who are they really mad at? Most religious people, if you really cut the crap out of it, they're really mad at God for not doing what he wanted them to do. They wanted him to do. I, I just don't understand this stuff. <clears throat> I've just never understood why people are so mad. If God is glad, his people should be glad. All right, this, let me just, I'm gonna pick one out of my many in 40 years. A little while back, I had to go to a, a meeting and it, it was a preacher's meeting and we were gonna be at a school, had to do some things there and, and uh, just wonderful and I had to go and I wasn't thinking. I don't think about this stuff anymore because I've gotten so free. And I invited my daughter to go with me. I don't know what I was thinking. So we got there just right as it was starting, which is late for preachers, you know, if you, if you, on time you're late. And then we got there. And as soon as we walked in the door, it just hit me. And I thought, what, what were you thinking? There's about 30 men in black suits, black ties. I'm dressed not this nice. I don't know what I was thinking about. I should have known, go buy you one of them stupid uniforms and put it on. And I walk in and my daughter got a nose ring in her nose tattoos showing. I said, this going to go over by like a turd in a punch bowl. This is going to be good here, buddy. <laughs> and sure enough, we walked in and there's that liberal preacher at that church. Ain't got nothing but sinful people. They don't do right down there. And who is that? I mean, they looked like they just smelled sour slaw. It was terrible. And I thought, boy, there's a sweet spirit in this place. The God who loves me gave me 10 rules. I love every one of them. I want to honor him. I want to worship him. I want to rest. I want to honor my parents. I don't want to kill nobody. Is it, are we deep here? I don't want to steal what you got. I don't, I, I don't want your lady. Are you with me? And I don't want to stab you in the back. That's all. That's it. That's it. That's his list. It does not say thou shalt not blue jean. It does not say thou shalt not tattoo. I told, we, I was doing something with my casket the other day. I'm not quite ready for it yet. But I was picking out this pine box. You know, I'm, I'm going to be ready. And I said, you know, I want the lid closed. And I got to thinking, no, I don't. I want to be buried. I want them to visit with the lid open. And I want to be buried without my shirt on. 
one last time, time to pee religious people off over them tattoos. I want to sock it to them. It does not say thou shalt not nose ring. It does not say thou shalt not country music. Worship me, honor me, be nice to your mom and daddy. Don't kill nobody. Don't steal nothing and leave their old lady alone. Is that enough? Why do we put all this junk on top of what he did? The man's real smart. You shouldn't add it to his list. I don't know why people are so mad because he's so glad. All righty. I didn't mean to get in. Well, I really did mean to get in all that. One more. Number 10. Religious people being mad doesn't stop God from being glad. You can be mad all you want to. It doesn't change him one bit. I want you to notice in verses 25 through 30, they have conflict with the preacher. God and the preachers are arguing and they're mad. They're complaining. There's tension in the air. The, pre, the, the elder son talks and look how, God, look how the father answers him. Here's what he said. Verse 31 said, son, you're always with me. Everything I've got is yours. Wouldn't it be tragic? Everything God has is yours. You don't know how to get hold of it. Verse 32, watch this. This is so funny. It was right that we should make Mary and be what? Glad. Because I got to forgive your brother. You get the picture here? Look at this. this the father, they're celebrating. He's smiling, having the best time. All of a sudden he says, where's my older son? He called the servant and said, where's your older son? He said, he's out in the barn pouting. He goes out there. The Bible said he went out to him and he said, son, the Bible said he pleaded with him, said, son, why don't you come inside? And he ripped, how many of you be able to respect your daddy? Especially when he's this big. He goes off on his daddy about, you, I, you have not done this for me. You did it for him. He, do you know what he did? He spent all your money and he's just going on. And the father says, it was really right that we should make Mary and be glad because your son's back, your brother's back. I get to, he can't stop being glad even when preachers are fussing. God is just glad. He likes people. He's just thrilled. And he, he's just so glad about this thing. And here's the point. Nobody fussing can stop him from being glad. Let me throw, obviously, here's the other part. You're not going to stop me either. There's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't understand. Uh, I had to go speak somewhere recently and a lady called and she said, I need to get the, so the introducer can introduce you. I need to get some information about you. And I said, well, I'm me. She said, no, no, I mean like, where, where all did you go to school? And I said, Charlotte Diesel driving school. She said, you are so funny. Come on, really. And I said, lady, if you don't want me to come, I won't come, but I'm me. And that's where I went to school. And I love Jesus. She said, well, I guess it'll have to do. That's all we got. I don't care how much, I don't care. The bottom line is, I was apart from God. I was going to burn in hell forever. My life was a train wreck and he forgave me and he's been good to me. And that's all I know. And that's all I'm going to know. Let's keep it simple, doc, and realize he is good and he's merciful and he is not mad at me. All right. Let me quit by saying one thing. One last thing here. How many of you think we really should do the right thing? Four. What else are you going to say in church? I think we should do the right thing. We got a problem though, don't we? You remember that preacher's meeting I told you about I went to that I disrupted? Uh, They had a little program and then one of the preachers who was there got up to speak and he was mad. And he spoke, he wasn't mad at me, I think he was mad at me, but he was mad at the whole world, it didn't matter. And he was mad and he got up and he talked about how that our nation today, people are not doing right, they don't honor God. He said, not even Christians are doing right. And I thought, what is this little man so mad about why is he so mad? Looked to me like he's had plenty to eat. He was mad. And then he said this. He said, I will do right. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to do right till the stars fall. I will do right till the stars. I thought, stars falling? Something I don't know. But he kept, he said, I will obey God's word till the stars. He kept saying till the stars fall. But he said, I'm going to do right till the stars fall. Here's my problem. Here's my problem. What is Right. Who gets to decide what right is? Take a guess. Not the preacher. Not even your mama. Who gets to decide what is right? How about if he shows us what is right, we start doing it? There was six. How about if God will show us what's right, we'll do it. Are you with me? I got to show it to you in the word. I can't make it up. Read verse 32 again. Read these words. 
It was right. Stop right there. If God's word said this is right, this is right. Are you with me? It is right that we should make merry and do what? Tell me what God says the right thing to do is. Say it. Be glad. Why should I be glad? I am a forgiven man. My sins are no longer remembered. I will bear them as far as the depths of the sea from the east to the west and your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I am glad that I'm forgiven and I am blessed and you can fuss and argue if you want to, but I'm gonna spend the rest of my life doing the right thing. This Bible tells me the right thing to do is to be glad because I've been forgiven. And I'm going to do that. Have you been forgiven? How many of you have been forgiven? I want you to encourage you to do something. You're going to sin. This bothers a lot of people. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for your sins, past, present, and future. You have already been forgiven of your future sins if you will ask when you commit them. But I want you to do something for me. This, this will be one of the greatest things you can ever do. When you sin, get alone and humble yourself and ask forgiveness and then pause and thank him for forgiving you. You need to receive forgiveness when you ask for it. And his word is true. The enemy of our souls is a master at remembering your sins and bringing them back to you and beating you up over them. You tell him what God has forgotten, I choose to forget and be done with it. I'm, gonna t- I just, I'm not done yet. One more thing I want to tell you, but I want to just stop right here and make sure everybody's forgiven. Is everybody forgiven? If you're in here and you've never been forgiven by God, you've never asked him to forgive you and be your father. We're going to stop and do it right now. If you're a believer, you're a Christian, you're in here and you know there's something between you and him. What are you going to do? Think about it. What's the only thing you can do? Do what this boy did. Just just bow your heart. Just say, I'm I'm sorry. I'm coming home. hundred percent coming home. He will receive you because his heart's tender towards you. Father, I want to praise you and thank you. We're going to stop right now and we're going to get some folks forgiven in here. Father, I pray for those that have never, maybe they, maybe religion messed you up in their minds or whatever. I don't understand it, but I just ask you for every person in this room, you like them, you love them, you're excited about them and they are valuable to you. Somehow would you put that in their hearts by your spirit right now and draw them to yourself. Friend, if you're sitting here, and God's not your father yet. You've never asked him to be your father and you've never asked him to forgive you and become your father. Let's do it right now. Seated right there where you at. I want you to pray a simple prayer like a child would pray. In your heart, just say this with me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died horribly on a cross because of me. I ask you to forgive me my sins. I'm sorry. I invite you into my heart today by faith. I have no idea what this means, but I'm following you. Today I accept you as my Savior and Lord, the love of my life and my Father. I want to follow you, but I don't know how, but I'm asking you to show me. And I believe what you said is true, that if I would call on your name, you'd save me. So thank you for saving me today and loving me. Teach me about you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.